following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I will be very brief because we want to hear from our guest speaker today, but I just wanted to say um, that having gotten the privilege of meeting Ville and Lasse um, over these past two days, I, I was so thrilled that, that they were coming to America to be with us today, and I can't tell you how much more thrilled I am to know them in person than I thought I would be. And I know that you will be blessed um, and just as thrilled as I am to hear this message. And so would you join me in welcoming, in person, <laughs> Virle. First of all, I want to say that I'm very emotional. Uh, I thought that I had... Uh, it's a silly thought to think that I had the full artisan experience through Zoom, but I thought I did. And, and being here in person with you, just, just singing together. I was choking up and, and doing the community prayer. I was choking up. <laughs> so, this is going to be hard. <laughs> But um, you've shown me such love and welcome, and I just appreciate it so much. Uh, most of you, uh, actually I don't know most, many of you probably know my story already. I told it at length uh, <laughs> over a year ago in the Open Doors sermon series, which was great. Uh, but for those who haven't heard my story, I have to start with a, a condensed version. I'm trying to condense it. It'll be hard. I'm trying because I have other things to say. Um, so I was born in a, uh, to a, a Pentecostal family. I, was, uh, I made my decision to give my life to Christ when I was seven. And uh, I was baptized at 17. Uh, the church became my whole life, and uh, I served in youth ministry uh, as an elder. And you know that in church we do everything also. <laughs> There's a lot of things to do, so I did. Church was my life. I did some other things, but church was what I was supposed to do. Um, I did that until I was 30. I'm 38 now. Um, but during that time, in a, in a small, small town Pentecostal church, I was also struggling with uh, uh, fear of actually being gay and the shame of those homosexual feelings. And uh, like the faith community I was part of, I thought that God hated homosexuality. That romantic love between two guys or two girls, uh, women, sorry, is something disgusting to God. 
And that's a very tough thing to try to internalize when those feelings are very natural parts of you. And then try to, to combine that with, with the whole thing that God actually loves you. That leads uh, to feeling that God loves you if and when you're a certain way. So there's some expect expectations of fulfilling something that you're actually not. Um, but I made it work. I really tried to be a certain way, not gay. Uh, it involved a lot of lying to myself. Uh, I became this split personality. Um, I had this whole thing that I was Ville in Christ, the perfect uh, straight man, wholesome, and yeah, that was the, the perfect Ville in Christ. And then there was the, the, the old me, the, the old Adam, uh, who struggled with gay porn or all those, those feelings. But that, was, that wasn't true, that was a lie, that was something that wasn't there. It was a baggage. I was, I was wholesome in Christ. That's a, that's a split personality disorder right there. Not very healthy. But I made it work with deep cycles of shame and fear, but hey, I made it work. And the, the burden became actually unbearable when, when I actually started falling for my straight friends. Uh, before then, it was just something ugly and something like disgusting that I had moved away. But when I started to uh, fall for my friends, I experienced love and what it feels like to be infinitely interested in someone and uh, wanting to be close to them, wanting the best for them, wanting to support them. And I couldn't get in my head that, that what's the sinful part? What's, what's wrong with this? It's just... They're packing the wrong genitals. <laughs> uh, like, what's, what's the problem? And uh, that, that uh, disconnection for me led me into a depression. Like, I was very angry at God. Or very, like, I was sad. I was depressed. Not that anyone noticed, because I was, like... <laughs> for 30 years, I was practicing that to show what's inside me, and, and I, I was my whole point was to serve others and be helpful and stuff. So that was my way to survive it. But I was still depressed. I I couldn't really maintain a good relationship with God, although I held on to my faith whatever that meant. Uh, but my prayers were that 
Jesus would kill me. I thought that that dying would be easier and more fair than to try to live uh, in the position that I was in. Uh, my depression lasted for a few years, uh, not, uh, but it came to an end, <laughs> thankfully, in 2016, uh, in a Hillsong uh, musical in London, where I had this this Holy Spirit experience of like getting this whole rush of of uh, warmth in my body and and receiving the message that that I'm totally loved and totally accepted as I am, even if I was in a relationship with another man. And that was the turning point in my life. And that was the, the moment. Even though I was a believer my whole life, that was the moment when I was actually liberated. And I felt this huge baggage lift from my shoulders. And, and my relationship with God healed. And I, I felt lighter. I, I wanted to pray again and worship again. And I even <laughs> took on the Bible again. Uh, I had to escape because of this thing way too long. Uh, there was a period of years where I was then uh, now confident in, in being gay and a Christian. And I found a new church uh, that was basic non-denominational evangelical church. And I tried to influence them that they would become more accepting. But it was a disaster and I kept getting hurt. But then COVID happened and uh, I found you guys and I started participating in Zoom. And very soon I just noticed that I actually have a community that welcomes me, loves me, appreciates me, values me, lets me, uh, lets me be on the stage, <laughs> lets me read the Bible for you, and And I know it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but now I actually feel kind of like Thomas, the, uh, the disciple Thomas that doubted that Christ was risen. It's not a perfect analogy because I didn't uh, refuse to believe. <laughs> but I doubted, like, after being so disappointed with church, uh, I doubted, like, where will I find a church that would accept me? And like Thomas, after those doubts, actually, Jesus gave him the opportunity to be seen and put those hands and fingers in the, in the wounds. I feel like I'm now in that position that I'm in this body of Christ, and I can touch and see and feel the love. <laughs> and uh, 
I'm also reminded that Jesus said that blessed are those who have not seen and yet have to complete, yet yet have come to believe. I actually want us all to remember in this moment to bless those who have not yet seen or experienced a loving and accepting church. Because there's a lot of them. And I feel so privileged that who am I that I got this, this church and I get to be here. There's so much people who need churches like this. That was just the intro, guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but there's, there's parts uh, that I want to go back to. I want to go back to the time when, uh, before my, like, the, that transforming experience with the Holy Spirit. I think it's one of the mysteries of the, the, my world, my life, is that why... I never lost my faith. I always had faith in God, in Jesus, in the cross. But at the same time, I was in a place that, that I wanted to die. There's something messed up in that. So what was I actually believing in? What was my faith focused on? I had faith, but it was guiding me pretty pretty poorly. I think I had faith in a God who is more concerned with judging based on rule following than with love and empathy. Of course, I also believed in a God who loves, but in that twisted sense, it was like God's love is manifested through rules and you love by following rules. I think that kind of takes the edge of feeling loved <laughs> if it's something that you're supposed to do and supposed to be. Following that thought, I thought in my worth as a human being and as a child of God came from Fulfilling those expectations and, and serving others, being uh, of worth that I wasn't in myself. Because I was the wrong kind in the, to begin with. Uh, but I also realized now that my God back then looked more like the faith community I was in than what I now know God to be. So even though I had faith, it was directed poorly on flawed human communities and their expectations and their dead-set conceptions of what the truth is and which are the rules to be followed because that depends on the community. But there's still the truth. Not a good direction. And faith always has a direction. This week's uh, lectionary passage includes a short um, definition for faith. Um, in the NRSV, it says, faith is the 
assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and it's followed by a list of a long list of things that that people, uh, Old Testament heroes achieve by faith. The Finnish Bible actually renders it differently. It says that faith is a firm trust in things hoped for and reaching towards something that is not seen. From the verse, my first obvious conclusion is that that faith is not an end in itself. Uh, it's not a list of things to believe. The infamous checklist. <laughs> and also, it's not a set of theological facts. The, the verse, it doesn't say that it's Faith is being certain of what is factual and grabbing hold to something visible in front of us. If I now had a Bible here, I would grab that. Faith is about hope and trusting in that hope. And faith is meant to be used. It's meant to reach forward to guide us, uh, to move us forward. The fact that it says that it, it's about not seeing kind of demands that we, we, st- we still have to have a direction. Without it, we're just being blind. We need that compass. We need the hope to be our compass. I think now could be a time to maybe consider what your compass is. Could it be that it's something that your faith community has installed in your brain? (laughs) Like I was. As some... uh, set of rules that you have to follow to be accepted. That may work for some people. That may be a set of rules that's very convenient for some people, and they have no uh, difficulties following them. But those same sets of rules can be impossible or deadly even for other people. They probably don't want to think like that, but it's the truth if they listened. Like my story, someone else's comfortable spot was for me the place where I wanted to die. So, these are pretty severe things. I actually wonder what what my faith, um, what my hope was during that time. I can't even really imagine. Well, that's a a dark thought. (laughs) Like, what was my faith during wanting to die? What was my hope 
Yeah, anyway. But Hebrews, the, the letter of Hebrews, is quite clear that instead of the law that, that people followed, instead of the rituals, the outward uh, culture of the Jews was not the hope. But our hope was in a person, Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says that the law was ineffective and useless because it made nothing perfect, and it fails to clear our consciences. Makes that a big point. But however, Jesus now is a better hope that succeeds in everything that the law failed in. Our hope is Jesus. And he should be the direction of our faith and our actions in faith. But how can a person be a direction? Uh, we have this hope. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Uh, we kind of failed at that. I don't know why, why it was just a badge show the people who really didn't do that. But maybe there's a, a different way to, to spin that. Because Jesus is the perfect representation of God. And God, I know, is love. So Jesus is love. And our direction is love. The direction of our faith based in hope is love. Can you hear an echo of a certain famous passage in 1 Corinthians? And now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. I think a huge chunk of Christianity has failed to put those three in the right order. We place so much emphasis on faith. And then there's the, the silliness of hope and, and love. But in the beginning of the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, it actually says that uh, you could have all the faith in the world, even to move mountains. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. But can love be sufficient as a direction? Because I would have conservative friends who would say otherwise. They would say that love, the present culture has made love to mean anything we want. So we can't really trust in that. But that's not the type of love I'm talking about. I'm talking about the selfless, self-giving, and self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ. The kind of love that while being hung on the cross actually finds forgiveness to those religious leaders who wanted him dead and the empire that actually drove the nails 
That's unconditional love. That's a love that initiates loving while we're at our worst. But it's tricky is that that if we actually and when we actually recognize this type of love for us, there's no way that we're gonna stay being at our worst, even if we we may sometimes be there. It's the kind of love that liberates, it heals, and transforms. It's that kind of love that brings out true repentance, that, that, that changing of the mind, that evangelicals would, would think that they want repentance to be loved. But that's a messed up way of thinking it. We are perfectly and unconditionally loved, and recognizing that makes us change. It's experiencing that kind of love that makes us able to love ourselves, and that's really the basis for a healthy spiritual living. If you don't love yourself. Uh, You can't really love others well, but you have to f- feel that love and acceptance from God to be able to love yourself. If there's doubt that God loves you, like I had, you can't really love yourself. And I believe that that when we see. Jesus and the love of Jesus. Recognize those th- that face that loves you. It's just the easiest and most natural thing to love him back. It's the it's the meeting that le- like you let go of all your weapons <laughs> and all your your tools that you're trying to be worth something that well. Be more than you are, but it can take a while. I was 33 when I finally recognized that face, but it can happen anytime and anywhere. I have a gay friend in Finland who had that same experience as me while mowing the lawn, and then dropped to her knees and started crying. Just realizing that that I'm okay like this, and Lasse had that experience while reading the most read prayer in the world, the Lord's Prayer, in a church in Serbia. But it can happen anytime. The tough part is that I'm not. Sh- I can promise that everyone will have that type of experience, like I did. But just let me assure you that the same unconditional love is true for you, and for all of us. Let's have that be our hope. And if you have trouble seeing. 
in front of you and, and moving forward, using that love as a guide is a safe and secure compass. I think I'm done. <laughs> That's what I want to say. That trusting in love makes a whole lot of sense. It's, it's tough. It's not easy. But it's worth it. And it, it's, it's the way that that's free and liberating. It's, it's really the narrow road. Yeah. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.